We are in a, a series of messages these weeks called Five Things That God Does to Grow Your Faith. Five Things That God Uses to Grow Your Faith. And so last week, Pastor Ann um, talked about practical teaching. That's the first way that God grows your faith. How many of you have ever been part of a worship service and the preacher was on fire and told lots of funny stories and it was unbelievable, you walked away feeling pumped up, but you couldn't even remember what he spoke on. But you just knew it was good. You know what I'm saying? Now, there's nothing wrong with those kinds of messages, but at the end of the day, if you're really going to grow your faith, you're going to have to get under some sort of preacher, teacher, through your iPod or iPad, you're going to have to connect with a series of teachers that really break down God's Word and brings it to a point that you're able to understand. Does that make sense to you? That's what last week was about. There was lots of resources that we gave online for that. And this morning I want to talk to you about the second thing that God uses to grow your faith. You ready for this? Providential relationships. Okay, what does the word providential mean? It means God's in it. God is either directly or behind the scenes, is bringing people in and out of your life for the express purpose of shaping your faith. And I want you to begin to think already about some people that God has used in your life to grow your faith. Would you stand, please, as we read God's Word together from 1 Samuel chapter 18, just four verses of Scripture, this is one of the most providential relationships in the Bible. I would go as far as to say that God used this relationship to get you here right now. If this relationship didn't go well, we wouldn't have a Savior named Jesus. And I'll talk about that a little bit later. So, 1 Samuel, chapter 18, verse 1. After David had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son. There was an immediate bond between them, for Jonathan loved David. From that day on, Saul kept David with him, and wouldn't let him return home. And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. Jonathan sealed the pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David, along with his tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt. Holy Spirit, What do you have to say to us today? Is there something specific that you want everybody to hear and receive, and more importantly, to apply about our relationships today? Speak, Lord, through your Spirit. We're listening. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. 
I like this story because it reveals two kinds of relationships that God uses to grow your faith. Two kinds of relationships that God uses to grow your faith. The first is relationships that God brings into your life without your help. Sometimes God just zooms somebody into your life. You had no idea they were coming. God planted them in your life for a season, and it's by God's providential will that they are there. Notice, David did not take the initiative. Jonathan did. They were, at least at first, an unlikely pair. Jonathan was the rich kid from Harvard. David was the poor kid from Podunk City. Jonathan rode a Harley to work. David rode a donkey to work. Jonathan was heir to the throne of the king of Israel. David hadn't even met with his guidance counselor to take one of those career exams. You ever take one of those in school? You know, what is it? You're in, you're in eighth grade, ninth grade, tenth grade? I don't know when they do it now. But, you know, somebody, a guidance counselor or a representative comes in. They still do that. And they give you a list of, you know, questions to ask. And before you know it, they say, well, you know, maybe your life out of this direction. I took one, and it told me I ought to be a funeral director. Well, I am sort of. Holly took one. She was supposed to be a funeral director, too. Can you believe it? Maybe that's why we're together. I'm just saying, Holly has just a, a, a very charismatic personality, my, my wife, but... but can you imagine if we were running a funeral home? I mean, it'd be hilarious. She'd greet you at the door and have you laughing before you went to the casket, you know? But my point is this. It was Jonathan who took the initiative for David, and David was a nobody. Yes, he had just killed Goliath, but that could have easily been a one-off. And yet, David per was pursued by Jonathan. I think David must have been shocked that Jonathan wanted to be his friend. But God providentially put Jonathan in David's life for a reason. God used Jonathan to protect David from his own dad, Saul. As David began to rise politically and in the army, Saul began to descend into a depression. And jealousy and his insecurity got the best of him. And at a couple different points, Saul wanted to kill David. And Jonathan couldn't believe it. And David kept saying to Jonathan, your dad's out to get me. And Jonathan was like, no, 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 no. My, my dad tells me everything. And if you go two chapters over to 1 Samuel chapter 20, you'll discover that Saul did have a plot to murder David. No Jonathan, no David. No David, no Jesus. You get that? If Jonathan wasn't in David's life, David would have been killed by Saul. And that would have upended God's salvation plan because Jesus is from the house of what? David. 
Now, here's the point. If you look back on your own faith journey, if you listen to somebody else's story, providentially, this is the message today, September 30th, several months ago, we planned that baptisms would be on this day. It was a total mistake on our part. I didn't know I'd be preaching on providential relationship. But here's what you're going to hear between the nine baptisms, between the two services, and that is, you're going to hear the stories of people saying, well, this person came into my life, and that person spoke to me, and if it weren't for that person, then God works through providential relationships. If you listen to somebody else's faith story, if you think about your own faith story, generally you'll hear something like this. You know, if it wasn't for my friend Bob, who kept inviting me to church, if it wasn't for my mom who prayed for me for years, if it wasn't for my parents who took me to church even when I didn't feel like it, if it wasn't for my co-worker Susan who kept sharing Jesus with me, listen now, every one of us can think about several people in our lives who have grown our faith that God has providentially brought into your life. You didn't see it coming. It wasn't that you asked for this person to come into your life. They just did. Hey, your parents were used by God to shape you. And your parents weren't perfect, but God still used your parents to shape your life. So when I was a teenager... My family attended a very small church in the Trenton, New Jersey area. And I was about a year or two away from going to college at Eastern Nazarene College. And we had a pastoral transition. And because it was a small church, pastors were coming and going every two to three years. And they just couldn't seem to stick a pastor in this local church. And the new pastor came in, and he happened to have, they, they happened to have a teenage son that was about a year or two younger than me. And I just, you know, we just spent like a summer together just kind of hanging out, but we weren't like super tight. But I went off to college, didn't think too much about it. And in two years, he came to Eastern Nazarene College. And I just happened to have my roommate happen to leave and go a different direction, so I didn't have a roommate my junior year. And Matt was coming to college as a freshman, and we just decided we roomed together. Two weeks after school began, Matt came back to our dorm room one day and said to me, I met the young lady today that you're going to marry. She's everything you're not. She's beautiful, charismatic, and witty. You should meet her. And we proceeded to stalk her for the next two weeks. They didn't call it stalking, and it wasn't creepy, creepy back then. You know, that's just what guys did. Okay, but now it's weird. But um, that's how guys, guys hunt, right? They have something, they just go after it. Okay, every guy in the room is like, yes. Every girl is like, You ask your husband, he'll tell you. He stalked you. Okay? But anyway, so I'm in the, the student union center, and Matt and I are together, and we're just sitting there waiting. For Holly to show up. And sure enough, Holly shows up to get her mail, you know, outside of the mail room, and I agree, this is the next woman that I'm going to marry. 
right? And so now we had to plot the next couple of weeks of how I could accidentally meet her. And I did. And a year and a half later, we were married. A seemingly inconsequential church that today runs 35 people who couldn't keep a pastor to save their life. But this one pastor had a son. We just happened to be roommates. And he changed my life. If you reflect enough, you will begin to think about all the people that God has placed in your life that has changed you forever. You didn't, you didn't ask for them. You didn't see them coming. It's just God put them into your life. You might want to take a moment on that bulletin and just write down two or three people who God has providentially brought into your life. And then send them a note. I'll probably Facebook Matt. We've lost contact in the last 20 years. But I'll probably Facebook Matt today and say thanks. Now before I go on to the second point, there's something else we need to consider. And that is, are you a Jonathan to a David? See, I was talking about God providentially bringing people into your life. Guess what? God providentially brings you into other people's lives. I can guarantee you that there's a couple people in your life right now, whether it's family members, friends, neighbors, co-workers, where God is wanting you to be a Jonathan to build up a David. You, you just need to have that perspective. Number two, relationships that you bring into your life with God's help. So the first is relationships that God brings into your life without your help at all. The second is relationships that you bring into your life with God's help. Most of the time, we are the ones that are choosing our relationships, hopefully with God's direction. And there are two scriptures that are sobering about the importance of picking our friends. The first is from Proverbs 13, 20. The second is from 1 Corinthians 15, 33. So walk with the wise and become wise, associate with fools, and get in trouble. 1 Corinthians 15, do not be misled, bad company corrupts good character. What, this, what these two verses mean is we eventually become like the people we associate with. If you associate with a lot of funny people, guess what? You'll get funnier through the years. If you associate with a lot of critical-minded people, you'll become more critical through the years. We just, I, the, the Bible says it, right, in Proverbs, iron sharpens iron. And what that means is, is that we have a tendency to kind of like rub up against each other year after year after year, and we take on the characteristics of the people around us. And so we just need to be really careful about our relationships. If you hang around people that have a certain food addiction, guess what? You'll probably pick it up. If you hang around people that, have, that um, ride motorcycles, guess what? You'll probably go buy yourself a Harley one day. You know what I'm saying? It's just a simple principle. We become 
like the people we associate with. So the real question is, how do we pick godly friends? In this age of increased connectedness, but decreased intimacy, isolation and loneliness are rampant. And what we're discovering is, is that though we are more connected to each other, we're having more difficulty developing deeper relationships. And we actually don't even know how to develop deeper relationships. So, what are some ways that we can pick godly friends? Because remember, who you hang around, you'll eventually become. A couple thoughts. The first is, go to church a lot. Right? You want to hang around godly people? You want to have some godly friends? Where's the, the greatest mass of godly people are where today, right now? They're in church. So, I'm just saying, if you want to have some godly friendships, you increase your chances by getting around God's people. It's just that simple. Not rocket science. It's just that simple. Let me lay a scripture on you that is equally as sobering as the other two I just shared. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 and 15. Do not team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? Okay, what do these verses mean? These verses do not mean that you can't have any friends who aren't Christians. Because who are you going to witness to? Right? The biggest problem in the church is, is that if you've been a Christian for seven years and you make the church the social and spiritual center of your life, which we all should, but the greatest problem with that is, is that after seven years of being a Christian, your friend system has changed so much that you hardly have anybody that in your, in your friend system that knows the Lord. Well, don't go that far. You've got to have lots of people in your friend system that don't know Jesus. But have you discovered that, that your relationships are really bound within concentric circles? There's the casual friend circle, then there's the close friend circle, and then there's the intimate circle of friends. The casual friend circle is really dozens and dozens and dozens of people. You can have, you can have a couple hundred people in your casual friend system. That's great. And then there's the close concentric circle of a friend system, and that is, you know, dozens of people. And then there's your intimate friend system, and that should be one, two, three, maybe four people. And so you just have to understand the whole concentric circle thing. And so what you should be doing in your life is you should be always gathering more people in your casual friend system. And then you should be through wisdom and discernment. Wisdom is the right application of knowledge. And so we're not talking about being mean to people. We're just saying that when you begin to let people into your life as you move toward more intimate relationships, you just have to be more discerning of who you're letting in. Because remember, you become who you hang around. 
particularly as it relates to marriage and business. This scripture passage about not being yoked, if you have the New International Version of the King James Bible, yoked with unbelievers, it really talks about creating vital partnerships that are binding. And so when it comes down to relationships, let me just say this. If you're dating, if you want to be dating, if you're a Christian, you should really only be dating believers. Now you can pray that those unbelievers would become believers, but the scripture clearly says that your job is to only create close and intimate relationships with people who are like-minded. So in other words, when you're finding somebody and you know, you're looking around and you're thinking, oh, I'm attracted to that person, the first question you ought to ask yourself is, is that person a believer? Do they have a vital relationship with Jesus Christ? Not, are they hot? Okay? I cannot tell you the heartache through the years I have listened to with people who have been unequally yoked in their marriage. They're, they're just going two different directions. And it gets complicated. The second is business relationships. If you're going to become legally bound through a business, make sure that as a Christian, you become legally bound to people who are other believers. Because it can get really complicated if your business partner is an unbeliever and you're a believer and you end up going two different directions. So, with discernment, hang around the church, hang around a lot of Christian people because you become who you associate with. There's a second thought. Ask yourself the question, does this person lift or lower me? Now you know what I'm talking about here, right? You ever been around people, you've been at a party or something, and you find yourself descending into your lower self? Or have you ever been around a person or a group of people where you found yourself being lifted up? If you have a propensity to have things come out of your mouth that shouldn't come out of your mouth, have you ever found yourself when you're within a certain group of people that you start descending into coarse language or swearing the more you hang around a certain person? Well, then that ought to tell you something. If you feel yourself being lowered with a certain friend system, you ought to be able to back up and say, I'm going to keep them in the casual circle, but I've got to be really careful while bringing them into the close. Certainly not the intimate. Does that make sense to you? Now, we've all been around people who we walked away feeling better when we were around them. We walk around feeling edified. I, I, it's really cool because sometimes I talk to you know, new believers who, who will say, you know, I didn't realize that you could have fun at a party without drinking. And so they come to some fellowship at church or some fellowship at a home group or something, and they're like, whoa, I had a great time, and I didn't even have a shot. And they're like, miraculous. Yeah, I know. Third, Slow down. Godly friendships take time because nobody seems to have much of it these days. We have this expectation that friendships ought to be microwaved, but they're actually crockpots. 
you know, we come to church for three, four weeks, and we're, we come to a small group for six months. But, well, I didn't make any friends. I know, right? I totally get it. That's because everybody else is running 100 miles an hour, and you just got to slow down. You got to let it seep. You have to be crockpot minded. And before you know it, you'll just be developing relationships if you slow down. Don't, don't get discouraged. You have to be intentional about it. And then lastly, be the person you want as a friend. Let's see if I can remember this. I say this to almost every, married, or every premarital coaching session that I have. Marriage is not about finding the right person. It's about being the right person. Because if you find the right person and you're the wrong person, the right person becomes the wrong person. However, if you're the right person, even if you found the wrong person, eventually the wrong person becomes the right person. So marriage is not about finding the right person. It's actually about being the right person. You carry that over into your friendships. We're looking for the right people. No, you become the right person. If you have a problem gaining intimate relationships, I'm not trying to heap guilt on you, but you have to kind of do a little introspection and say, am I actually the kind of person that attracts people? Because if you're hunting for friends, you'll never find them. If you focus on being a friend, people will be attracted to you. Now, before I close this message, I want to talk to you about one relationship that is, above all else, providential. And that is our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God gave Jesus to you. Many of you in this room have some sort of relationship with the Lord, but some of you may not. You think you do because you went to catechism. You think you do because you go to church. You think you do because you may even pray. But that doesn't mean that Jesus is on the inside. You may have an awareness of Jesus without having a relationship with Jesus. Does that make sense? And so what I want to say to you today is, God has providentially brought Jesus Christ into your life. And your job is to simply turn and receive God's great gift. And so I want to bow our heads right now, and I want to lead you in a prayer of asking Jesus into your life. And then we're going to baptize and give illustration to this message. You know, oftentimes when we know Jesus is speaking to us, it's usually because our heart races a little faster and there's something inside of us that says, you know you need Jesus. And we begin this inward dialogue. And so I'm going to make it so easy for you. I'm not going to ask you to do anything publicly. I'm just going to make it really easy. If you don't know Jesus, God's greatest gift to you, if you know that you're a sinner and you want to be forgiven of every sin you've ever committed, if you're willing to turn your back on your sins and say, you know what, 
Life with Christ is going to be better because God always has my best interests at heart. I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. And after this simple prayer, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I'm not going to ask you to do anything. I just want you to be free with your guard down to just say, I need Jesus. So if you are here today and you want to invite Jesus into your life, just repeat this simple prayer after me. Dear Jesus, this is, and then give your name. I want to invite you into my life right now. Come in. Please forgive me of my sins. I do confess that I am a sinner. And I want to start a new journey with you. And so I pray, God, that you will forgive me of every sin I've ever committed. And that you will start a new trajectory in my life. I'm not even sure I know what that means. But I'm going to walk by faith. I'm just going to take it that you're good and you have my best interests at heart. So come in, Lord Jesus. And I'm going to follow you the rest of my life. Amen.